All right, guys, welcome back to Revive School. We have a new book. Praise God. <laughs> but we're still in the historical books. <laughs> so we've gone through, when I say historical books, maybe this is your first time jumping in with Revive School. Welcome. I'm so glad you're here. Uh, my name is Kyle, uh, Kyle Lance Martin. I got Clayton over here. I've got Kevin. I've got Tom. We love doing this. It's a lot. I have no problem telling you this. But every time you, you walk through this, you're kind of like, Wow, that was really encouraging. Like, wow, I really got something out of this time. And so now here we are jumping into a new book. We've gone through Joshua and Judges and Ruth, First and Second Samuel, First and Second Kings. And then you go into what we just finished up, First and Second Chronicles. We made it through this. Now, Ezra, though, guess what? Is really going to feel like that with Nehemiah. And really, even the question is, is where does Esther fit in all of this? So it's an interesting uh, analysis. Hopefully, Lord willing, Lord will continue to bring clarity to us as we go through this. Now, remember, at the end of Second Chronicles, here's what you have. You have Zedekiah. I don't know, Kevin, if you can pull up that king chart again for me. Here you have Zedekiah, right? Multiple kings. You know, once it goes from Josiah and down, you know, what you're going to see is four kings. It goes to his son. He didn't last long, Correct. And then it goes, every one of these guys ended up in prison. Every one of them. And then through the process of Jehoiakim, who was a wimpy guy, right, and surrendered everything. And then Zedekiah, these guys just basically handed over the city. They handed over literally the city of Jerusalem. And we know then, right, at the end of Second Chronicles 36, you need to understand the context of all this, of, of where we're at, you guys. In order to understand this, we know that at the end of Second Chronicles 36, what happened? Well, right before the King Cyrus that we're going to talk about, we know that the temple was destroyed, correct? And we know that so was the city of Jerusalem, 586 B.C. This is the context of what we're walking into. But then uh, in verse 23, uh, can you go to verse 22, though, for a second for me, Kevin? In, in verse 22, it does say this. You need to understand at the end of Second Chronicles. In the, in the first year of King Cyrus, of Cyrus, king of Persia, so enter in Persia. Here you had the Babylonians, now you enter in the Persians. The word of the Lord spoken through Jeremiah was fulfilled. What does that mean, Kevin, if the, if the Lord spoke through Jeremiah was fulfilled? What are we talking about here? A uh, prophet gave a word about what was coming. At the end, it says the word was fulfilled. So then because of that, the Lord put into the mind, and he actually calls him my servant in another context, King Cyrus of Persia is then going to actually help the Israelites. That's the way you have to know this. Those that are from Judah. He's going to issue a proclamation through his entire region. So everybody needs to know and put it in writing. And here's what he says in verse 23. King Cyrus of Persia says, The Lord, the God of heaven, has given me all of the kingdoms of the earth. Wow. Like he's the ultimate king then at this point. And has appointed me to build him a temple at Jerusalem in Judah. Whoever among you of his people may go up and may the Lord his God be with him. So at the end of Second Chronicles, even though it looked really, really bad, it ended really, really well. Even though they went into captivity for how many years, Kevin? Seventy. Seventy years in Babylon. King Cyrus enters the picture. He's not a believer from Persia. And he says, oh, by the way, the Lord of God, the Lord God of heaven is now saying, this is all yours. And I want you to send my people to go build a temple and to reestablish Jerusalem. 
So King Cyrus is that. So when King Cyrus of Persia says, I'm going to bless, yes, by my actions and supporting these folks, that's where they get this from. Okay, so this is kind of the picture. Now, you know that whenever we start a new book uh, uh, of the Bible, we always do a long, big backdrop, historical backdrop. Now, look, you got to go to Mindy's painting. It is absolutely beautiful. You know, I don't know if you guys are more drawn to the lemons, to there are 33 butterflies here. We'll get to that, Lord willing, as the time goes. We have the scroll here that Mindy has Ezra actually holding the scroll because what you're going to see is, remember, at the end of Second Chronicles 36, King Cyrus says, by the way, guys, you can go build your temple. Well, Ezra helps implement it. And so here he is reading the law. How, how, do, we, how do we do this? So it's a beautiful picture. So now here's where we're going to run with this. And this is what I absolutely love about Ezra, is that God keeps his promise. When you have 70 years of captivity, through all of these kings, this, this king's lineage, right? All of this evilness, all of these guys, I think it's interesting that they're in a box because now they're all in prison. <laughs> and so is everybody else in the exile, right? They're all here. And through King Cyrus, which he's not on here, but through King Cyrus of Persia, he's actually going to release those so that God can continue to keep his promise. So the phrase that we have for who Jesus is in the book of Ezra is that he is a promise keeper. I love this image because here you go, people are in bondage and God says, no, 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 I'm, I'm going to set you free. God keeps his promise with the exiles. Crazy enough, he keeps his promise with those that are in bondage to set them, three, set them free through the ultimate Messiah. It's a cool picture, cool image here. So think about this. As they're coming out of exile, yes, God is still keeping his promise. Now, what does the land look like? Kevin, if you can, can you go to the land here for a second? Yep. All right. So here you have, you're going to integrate. We're going to get into Shesha Bazaar and Zerubbabel. Are they the same? Are they not the same? Ezra and Nehemiah. Okay. So we're going to just talk about Ezra for this context. Right now they're in Babylon, right? So they're all the way over here on this side. Now look, look where Jerusalem is. Okay. So you're going to see this as they're coming up. Now you're going to see another map here, Kevin, if you'll go, then they're going to drop down. Okay. So now here it is. They're dropping down. So they are over here and they're coming all the way down into this land. Okay, kind of a really cool picture, but I want to give you that idea of what this looks like. So now in verse 1 of Ezra 1, no, I can't even come close to going there yet. Ezra's name does not really even appear until Ezra 7.1. So Kevin, if you'll, if you'll go there. So here you have the book that's named after him. He's not even in until the seventh chapter. It says, after these events, during the reign of King Artaxerxes of Persia, Ezra... Sarazai's son, Azariah's son, Hilkiah's son. Okay, so interesting, just the kind of a picture. Shalom's sons, Zadok's sons, Ahitub's sons, and it keeps going on. And here's why, uh, until it gets to the point of that you see that he is from the, the lineage of the priesthood from Aaron. So Ezra is listed in Ezra 7. This is who it's named after. And really, there's not even a question. Sometimes the Jews and the Christians have different perspectives, but both Jewish traditions always agree that it should be called Ezra. And everybody agrees it should be named after Ezra, which means Jehovah helps. So Jehovah helps. It's kind of a cool picture when you think about Ezra. God is using him to then reinstate the temple. Okay, so now how many temples at this point, Kevin, have we had? One. Who built it? Solomon. Solomon. We're going to start walking into the second temple. 
Okay, the second temple is where we're headed to, and that's where Zerubbabel enters in, and that's what this looks like. Now, here's a fun fact. The New Testament never quotes Ezra. Doesn't mean it's not valid, doesn't mean it's not accurate, just simple little things of pointing it out. Now, Ezra, more than likely, is the author of Ezra and Nehemiah. There's a lot of thoughts behind that. And it probably at one point, you could actually take two paintings because maybe the thought was Ezra and Nehemiah at one time was actually maybe one book. So again, you're kind of like, I thought we got away from all that stuff. (laughs) In the first six chapters, okay, he writes in third person. Kevin, give me an example of third person, would you? Kevin, don't eat these. Yes, Kevin. Kevin's actually really good at at talking in third person. I thought that was very appropriate. Now, in chapters 7 through 10, okay, here you're going to see in the arrival in Jerusalem, then you're going to begin to see Ezra start switching to first person. Okay? So it goes from third person to first person. Here's what's interesting. Again, um, the writer of first and second chronicles. Do we remember who we thought it was? Possibly Possibly Ezra. Naturally, as one commentator, John MacArthur, says, to think about this, how you could integrate First and Second Chronicles with Ezra and with Nehemiah, it really feels like the author could be the same. I mean, think about how we just went from Second Chronicles 36. It's a launching pad right into Ezra. Literally, it just feels like, oh, yeah, it's just another chapter. Here we go. Like, that's how it feels. And very rarely do you have books that feel like that. Like when you can go from boom, boom, and it just it just keeps on going. But there's so much to why we think it could all be Ezra writing this, because he reveals how God truly fulfilled his promise by returning his people, you guys, to back to the land after 70 years. It's a cool picture. We've already addressed that Ezra is a priestly descendant of of Aaron. And definitely, here's a point I really want to make sure everybody understands, because this is really what makes this book unique. Ezra becomes a scribe, as MacArthur says, who has access to the myriad of administrative documents. Very few people, you guys, would have been allowed access to the royal archives um, of the Persian Empire. And Ezra, very simply, was the exception. So how do we get into all this? Well, because God has found favor with, with Ezra. In fact, if you look in Ezra 1... Ah, there's just so much here. We'll just keep on going. He lived at the same time as Nehemiah. Okay? Just to give you an understanding. Tradition says, and I think this is crazy. I'd never heard of this until I studied this part. Tradition says he was the founder of, this is kind of funny, the great synagogue. Here's where this is interesting. Where the complete Old Testament canon was first formally recognized. It's an interesting thought. You have to wonder who, who back then decided to put all this together. Some would say Ezra was a part of the original group that established the Old Testament canon. That's when you know you're getting close to the end of the Old Testament. It's a cool picture, a powerful picture. And in Ezra 7 through 10, Ezra actually led the second return from, from Persia. All right. Take a deep breath. We're almost there with our backdrop, but I want to keep painting this picture of who Ezra is and what does this look like. All right, a couple things here, okay? We have already established, I'm going to write my own up here, in 586 B.C., Kevin, what do we have? Destruction of the temple and the second exile. Destruction of the temple uh, and Jerusalem, right? And then you have the second and final exile, correct? 
Awesome. Okay. That is our backdrop. Okay. Now, here's where we're going to go and get into some more time frames. Okay. Now, in 538 BC, okay, in 538 BC, what you're going to see in Ezra, this is important, in the first six chapters, okay, you are going to see Zerubbabel enter the, the, the process along with Joshua. Now, Kevin, is this the same Joshua? Nope. No. Just so everybody knows, it's not the same Joshua that led him into the land. We're way past that time. Okay, just so everybody has an understanding. So your Jewish leader, okay, and I love that MacArthur really spelled this out. This is pretty clear for me. And then here you have the Persian ruler. Okay, who would be our Persian ruler during this time, Kevin? Cyrus. Yeah, King Cyrus. King Cyrus is the guy who's saying, guys, this is, this is where we're headed. Then he goes, as it gets to 458 B.C., then you're going to see Ezra chapter 7 through 10. And we know that this is where Ezra then actually enters the, 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 the timeline. And then who's the king? Artaxerxes. Oh, my. He's a tax accountant. That's what I see. And then you have number three. So now when you hear Artaxerxes, who do you think of? Esther. And so people, I'm telling you, there's so much... Uh, confusion is not the right word, but it's like, how does it all just navigate? And I, I feel like this is a really good picture of spelling out where we're headed with all of this, okay? And then in Nehemiah, which I know we're not teaching on, but the themes are going to interweave. Then you have Nehemiah in this, okay? And then Artaxerxes, okay? Same, Okay? Hopefully this helps you guys get a, a, a whole timeline of where we're going. So if you want to hear about Ezra in the first six chapters, you're not going to hear about it. But in seven through ten, you will. But when you talk about the temples, you guys remember last week, I, it was probably one of my favorite teachings because I had to learn it for myself in a whole new way. When we talked about the three temples and then we talked about possibly the fourth temple that's coming. The first one, Kevin, you alluded to was Solomon's temple. The second one, many, many people call it Zerubbabel's temple because this is Zerubbabel coming back. What? To implement the building that God's asked them to build. Then you're going to get into the third temple, which the Israelites today in Israel literally are ready to build. Right. And we know that it has to physically be there in order for the Antichrist. Right. To actually sit there in the middle of the seven years. So lots going on. So when we say Zerubbabel, he's coming back to build the second temple. Whew. I feel like when we start getting into this stuff, you guys, it just it keeps pointing back to God continually keeps his promise. He's faithful to what he wrote in here. And we get to experience this. Crazy enough uh, in this process of uh, uh, how do I put this? God constantly when he originally brought Israel out of Egypt, it almost parallels you guys what you're going to see when they come out of exile. So you have this first slavery time frame, and now you have this second slavery. And then here you have a hundred years later. And he says, guys, when I want you to come back, I want you to have covenant with me. I want you to turn to me. I want you to, to look to me. And over and over and over again, in that actual captivity, they refuse to listen to the prophets. They refuse to listen to these guys and, and, and what this looks like. And so hopefully you guys will begin to see the, the bigger picture about how important it is to look and listen. You ready for this? To the prophets of, uh, of God. Uh, it's pretty key to how God promises, 
Okay, so talking about the promises, here you're going to see the release as... War- hey, Warren Wiersbe back, you guys. Warren Wiersbe decided to take a break from Chronicles. Apparently, he didn't want to do Chronicles and Kings, but he's back. Thanks to Tom. Praise the Lord. So we're going to look at how God keeps his promises through the release of, uh, of the captives. So in verses 1 through 4, that's what we're beginning to see. Okay, this is kind of cool. In the first year of King Cyrus, Cyrus, king of Persia, the word of the Lord spoken through Jeremiah was fulfilled. So 70 years prophesied from Jeremiah. Now we can go there, Kevin. Jeremiah 25, 8 through 12. The prophet was, this word was fulfilled. What was the word again? Therefore, this is what the Lord of hosts says, because you have not obeyed my words, verse 9. I'm going to send it for all the families of the north. This is the Lord's declaration. And send for my servant Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, and I will bring them against this land, against his residents, and against all these surrounding nations. And I will completely destroy them, make them a desolation and, and a derision and ruins forever. That's happened. That's clearly happened. But now here, watch, as it continues. I will eliminate the sound of joy and gladness from them. Wouldn't that be awful? No joy, no gladness, just gone. The voice of the groom and the bride, the sound of the millstones and the light of the lamp. Verse 11. This whole land will become a desolate ruin and these nations will serve the king of Babylon for 70 years. That's what we're talking about in Ezra 1.1. That right there has been fulfilled. No longer are they in captivity. They can now start coming back. Verse 12, then it closes out. When the 70 years are completed, I'll punish the king of Babylon and that nation. And this is the Lord's declaration that the land of the Chaldeans for their guilt and I will make it a ruin forever. That's done. But in this process, it says, okay, uh, the word of the Lord spoken through Jeremiah was fulfilled. No more room for wiggle. Should that, did that, was it fulfilled? Yes. The Lord put it into the mind of King Cyrus. You know what that means? God is in control. If you go to Proverbs 21, we've already talked about this, but this is really important. Proverbs 21, 1. Okay. Proverbs 21, 1 says, a king's heart is a water channel in the Lord's hand. Oh, I'm going to now give King Cyrus an idea. And he directs it wherever he chooses. So now watch. If you go back to Ezra uh, 1, verse 2. Uh, I'm sorry, Ezra 1, 1. That's exactly what happened, right? The Lord put it in the mind. I'm going to direct him to how I want to issue a proclamation throughout the entire kingdom and to put it in writing. So if you have an issue with the president, if you have an issue with your senator, you have an issue with your governor or an issue of your town manager or mayor, or even if you have an issue of your leadership of somebody in your environment, pray. Scripture says God can actually move that person's heart. And so King Cyrus issued a proclamation throughout his entire kingdom, and he put it actually in writing. It says in verse 3, uh, verse 2, this is what the king of uh, Cyrus of Persia says, The Lord, the God of heaven, has given me all the kingdoms of the earth and has appointed me to build him a house at Jerusalem and Judah. I love this verse. Now, one, it feels like we're just reading Second Chronicles, does it not? 36, 23, and on. Like, it feels like we're saying the same thing. But what I love about this meaning is, is that when he says, Kevin, I'm going to build him a house, what is King Cyrus talking about? He's talking about a temple. He's talking about a temple. And you know what I see? A temple and a God who keeps his promises because the lineage of David continues. I point to the, the thing like it's there or something. Does that make sense? So like all of a sudden, God is using King Cyrus to keep the line of Judah going. To keep it all going, and I'm going to have him build a temple, but oh, I'm going to keep it going. I'm going to pull him out of captivity, and here we go. Because God gave this to me. You know, whenever God gives somebody a plan, it actually cannot fail. 
<laughs> it's God's. This is, if this is really God's plan, it will come to fruition. And so it says in Ezra 1, 3, whoever is among his people, may his uh, God be with him and may he go to Jerusalem and Judah and build the house of the Lord, the God of Israel, the God who is in Jerusalem. You know, uh, Wearsby at one point said 50,000 Jews are returning. It's an interesting number, but just to kind of give you some perspective. And in verse four, it says, let every survivor, wherever he lives, be assisted by the men of that region with silver, gold, goods and livestock, along with a free will offering for the house of God in Jerusalem. So, guys, by the way, we need to take an offering <laughs> to make sure we can do this. And in verse five, so the family leaders of Judah and Benjamin, along with the priests and Levites, everyone God had motivated. I love that, don't you? God's the one who does the motivation, prepared to go up and rebuild the Lord's house in Jerusalem. Now, we've been talking, you guys, about First Chronicles and Second Chronicles. If they are coming back into the land, where are they going to learn how to rebuild the temple? They're going to go to Chronicles. That makes sense? And so to me, they needed to know how did Solomon build the temple. Well, they got to learn how to rebuild it. So they got to read God's word. They got to be in and understand how did we do this? And here's what's, it's kind of an interesting perspective. So here you have the return of the remnant, right? That's what's happening. The return of the remnant from all the way up to captivity. You got to wonder if they're singing. You got to wonder if they're excited. You got to wonder if like, are there just a bunch of goofballs having a lot of fun? Or are they like, oh, we got to go build God's temple. Are they all serious? You know, you, you kind of just wonder what they are thinking at this point. And in verse six, at least they're thinking freedom. All their neighbors, this is really interesting. So the, the neighbors, you guys, supported the Israelites, that those from Judah, going back. Supported them with silver, articles, gold, goods, livestock, and valuables, in addition to all that was given as a free will. So they, the neighbors are supporting this. There's an interesting verse in the New Testament. If you go to Philippians 2, verse 13. Oh, that was cool. I just saw the time and it was 2.13 when we saw this. All right, so in Philippians 2.13, uh, it says this. For it is God who is working in you, enabling you both to desire and to work out his good purpose. That's what's happening, you guys. God is working through the, the remnant to come back and re, to rebuild the temple. For whose purpose? For his good purpose. This is all for the Lord. Like this is for the Lord in this process that's moving and working. All right, Kevin, go to verse 7 if you would. Now, King Cyrus, he also brought out the articles of the Lord's house. Okay. You know, I should, I should do this. I'm sorry. I should have, um, I should have right here real quick. You have the release of the captives. And then I like what Wearsby wrote. You have, then it becomes the return of the remnant. Okay. So they've been set free and now they're coming back with, with a purpose. Okay. So in verses five through 11, can you believe this chapter only has 11 verses. Can I get an amen? <laughs> it says, King Cyrus, you guys have no idea when I get excited about a chapter like that. King Cyrus also brought out the articles of the Lord's house that Nebuchadnezzar had taken from Jerusalem and had placed in the house of his gods. So King Cyrus is even establishing, you guys, all of these things that were stolen. And you guys, he's giving them back. A king from Persia is blessing Judah. Says King Cyrus of Persia had them brought out under the supervision of Mithradath, 
the treasurer. So there's a guy that's actually responsible for this. And it says, who counted them out to Sheshbazar, the prince of Judah. We'll come back to him in a second. This was the inventory. So this is what these guys are talking about, okay? This was the inventory. 30 gold basins, 1,000 silver basins, 29 silver knives, 30 gold. Hey, who stole the, the 30th knife? I don't know. It's just, you always wonder like when it's a weird number like that. And then you have 30 gold bowls, 410 vari- various silver bowls, and 1,000 other articles. The gold and silver, look at this, articles totaled 5,400. Shesh Bazaar brought all of them when the exiles went up from Babylon to Jerusalem. So here you have a treasure named Mithridath, kind of like Mithribesheth. <laughs> Mithridath, the treasurer. Okay, he counts it out to Shesh Bazaar, the prince of Judah. So now everybody is carrying 5,400 articles that came from the temple that uh, Nebuchadnezzar had, but King Cyrus of Persia says, I'm going to bless Israel. Whoa. Man, think about this, you guys. Now, there is an argument, and it's a valid argument, that Sheshbazar is also Zerubbabel. And you're like, can we just keep with Elikim or Jehoiakim? Which one is his name? But Sheshbazar could be Zerubbabel. Zerubbabel, okay, many people would know him as the governor of Judah, who was with Joshua the high priest, okay, who directed, as MacArthur said, the work of the remnant as they rebuilt the city and the temple. So Zerubbabel was the one who did the work. Zerubbabel was the leader of Judah. So it could make sense legitimately. In Ezra uh, 5 and Ezra 3, in Ezra 5, Sheshbazar is listed as the person who helped lay the foundation of the temple. But then in Ezra 3, it says Zerubbabel laid the foundation of the temple. Both names implied they laid the foundation of the temple, which is why many, many people believe Zerubbabel and Sheshbazar are the same person. Either way, these guys are bringing all of the goods, you ready, to bless Israel. And here's what I have to tell you. It was because King Cyrus released, here it is, King Cyrus released the goods to bless them. Now, Kevin, go to Genesis 12, if you would, verse 2, please. I want to go somewhere. I'm going to take a radical turn here, but just hang in here with me. Scripture says this, I will make you into a great nation. This is the promise to Abraham. Remember, promise keeper. I will bless you and I will make a name great and you will be a blessing. Now look, you keep going to verse three. I will bless those who bless you. If I am King Cyrus and I know something about this, I'm going to bless them. Why? So I can be a blessing. We cannot turn our back against Israel ever. We must, as long as they're, as long as they're keeping their eyes on Yahweh, right? We must continue to bless Israel, Scripture says, so that you'll be blessed. So how do we do this? How do we become King Cyrus's of today? Because King Cyrus is the one who said, yes, go, I'm going to release you. Who, Yes, I'm going to return the remnant. Yes, I'm going to bless you. Can you go to Romans 15, verse 25 through 27? And this is how we'll close it out. And just so you know, uh, in Ezra 2, uh, all you need to know is that Zerubbabel then actually leads the group of exiles to Judah. Okay. So how do we become King Cyrus's, uh, Romans 15, Kevin, verse 25, Romans 15, verse 25. How do we become King Cyrus's of today? Well, this is what Paul says. He says, right now I'm traveling to Jerusalem. I think that's even a cool picture, just even serving as like, almost like I'm going back, right? I'm traveling to Jerusalem to serve the saints. In verse 26, for Macedonia and Achaia were pleased to make a contribution for the poor among the saints in Jerusalem. You guys, who was the only people left back then? The poor. So now he says, I'm going to bring a contribution for the poor among the saints in Jerusalem. And then in verse 27, look what Paul says. Yes, they were pleased and indeed are indebted to them. For if the Gentiles have shared 
in their spiritual benefit. So if the Gentiles have received in this context any form of spiritual benefit, and the spiritual benefit that you and I have received is, is Christ. Salvation has come from the Jews. If you have received a spiritual benefit in eternal life in Christ, then look what Scripture says, then they are obligated to minister to Jews, here it is, in material needs. The way that we can bless Jews is actually with material needs. How do you want to be a King Cyrus today? Bless them. Actually give them material things without anything in return. According to Genesis 12, 1 through 3, if you bless them, you will be blessed. King Cyrus actually released the temple goods that was taken from Nebuchadnezzar. And he said, I'm going to bless you. I wonder if that's a role that you can play today. I know for me, I want to. I am obligated to minister to the Jews because scripture says, if you bless them, you will be blessed. And guess what? Off they go to rebuild the temple. All right, guys, we'll talk to you tomorrow with Ezra 3 and 4. Thanks. Thanks. 